Welcome to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast, the podcast for serious soccer players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their soccer careers. And now, here's your host, Matt Langoni. Welcome into another episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Today we'll be joined by new Boston College women's soccer head coach, Chris Watkins. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Matt. Glad to be here. Glad to be in New England and Boston. This is a crazy time. Yeah, absolutely. And and before we bury the lead, that's that's a good point of yours that you're you're in New England because you you traveled a, a pretty far distance to get here. You previously coached at Gonzaga. Is it Gonzaga or Gonzaga? What do you say? So the, the Zag. <laughs> I know. I feel like I pronounce. I mean, I, I I watch a lot of college basketball. I feel like I pronounce it different every day. So everybody butchers it. No problem. <laughs> Um, you know, so I, I guess the jumping off point here would be first and foremost, what attracted you, um, to become head coach at Boston college? It's a cross country trek for you or an ACC program, obviously, but what was it about BC that, that drew you in? Yeah. A good question. It, it is a long ways. In fact, I just got the bill from the moving company and <laughs> it uh, shows explicitly how, how far it is. <laughs> There's, there's, there's a lot of potential at BC. I don't, I don't know the East Coast very well. I'm, I'm not sure how BC identified me as a good candidate. Frankly, the program's in a lot of similar circumstances to where Gonzaga was at the time I took over Gonzaga seven years ago. But it's, a, it's quite a move, quite an opportunity to come to a place that that has such great potential. It's a top forty academic school in a Power Four conference. And so right there on its on its own accord, it's a big time job. It's a program that's been down a little bit, of course, uh, in the last uh, few years, but has potential and has been uh, great in the past. And so all the indications to me said that this can be a big, big time program that can bit when it's the highest level. And so so it 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 it, it screams opportunity to someone like me who who knows this industry, knows the momentum and the movement and the shifting that's going on and big time college athletics right now it makes sense to be on this side of of that uh, momentum it's nevertheless still a courageous move on your part because anybody who works in any field to be willing to move cross country and take on a new endeavor that's that's a challenge no matter what you're doing your success at Gonzaga spoke for itself I believe it was 79 33 and uh, 16 over seven seasons at Gonzaga so a a really good record you mentioned BC is is in a similar spot as Gonzaga was when you went there. Do you? That's probably why maybe they identified you, right? Maybe th- that you've had experience in building something up with promise. Do you feel like that's kind of where where you excel as a coach and kind of a trait that you possess? Yeah, I was at BYU before that. We won every BYU's top twenty team every year, and so so going to Gonzaga seven years ago was. I wanted to be able to prove myself in some ways. And I had been an associate head coach and was, was had the head coach opportunity at Gonzaga. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's roughly in the same spot. Gonzaga had only had, I think, six winning seasons ever before I got there. And, but, but a great school with great people and it attracted great people there. And so in a lot of ways, it's very similar to BC. And, and yeah, that's probably the, the natural draw and, and relationship between, between me and that kind of a school and that of a program right right and uh we were joking before we went on the air here about the your, your kind of empty office right now because you've only been uh <laughs> you've only been <laughs> could use a little <laughs> interior decorating but you've only been there for five days um 
What, but still, what jumps out at you about the area? I mean, it's wintertime here, so it's a little cold. It's not, <laughs> so we, we, New England yeah. doesn't, we don't look our best in, in January, but, um, what, what do you think of the, the campus, the BC campus and just the community so far? Yeah. You know, at this point in my coaching career, I've been to, uh, I don't know, 80% of the division one schools. I've been everywhere at this point, although not a whole lot of places in New England. But I, I went up to campus when I was here, went up to kind of the center of campus and looked around and, and it's an unbelievable campus here. I, I, I've never seen one that's quite this nice that has big time athletics. And so that to me, I'm thinking about recruiting to Gonzaga and the kind of kids, the good kids that we had come in, the great kids that are coming in for these next couple of recruiting classes that have already been recruited. And I thought, you know, if I was, if I was at, Gonzaga and I saw Boston College, I'd rather go to Boston College. Wow. Academics are top notch. Facilities, new facilities are getting built um, for us for soccer here soon. And all the potential to grow, and not to mention the movement within the power four conferences now. It makes sense. So as a recruit, I would I would come to Boston College before I went to many other power four teams, but certainly those outside of the power four, Boston College has great advantages. So it makes sense. That was that moment for me when I was on campus. I just felt like I would come here. I would come here if I was an 18-year-old kid looking to go somewhere. Wow. I would come here. I would want my kids here, right? Those, right. Kind, of, those kind of feelings spill over into recruiting and should spill over to wins as well. Have you had a chance yet to speak to any of the players? Because obviously kind of the the elephant in the room, I guess, when when coaching changes happen in college is, and especially with the transfer portal being the way they are, it's like players' immediate reaction might be to maybe, you know, this isn't the coach that recruited me. I have to develop a whole new relationship. So I'm just curious if you've spoken to any of the players and what your mindset is as a coach going into that situation where, you know, it, it, it's all new and there's kind of a little bit of that, uh, that that nervousness amongst these 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 players. I have met players, those who weren't in finals at the moment that I got here two and a half weeks ago. It was during finals, and so those who weren't in finals came over to a quick little conversation. So I've met most of them, and and impressed. Certainly, they seem like sharp kids, and no surprise there. Boston College should attract a, a sharp kid. But as as players, I don't know much. I, I watch I have Wise Scout just like every just like the Revolution have Wise Scouts, so I can see plenty of video of them. But the context is important, and I would say I don't know much much about this roster. I get to start practice in a week and a half, and uh, I'll know a lot more. But it's an exciting time. But I I don't know them. Right. I'm anxious to get to work and see where they're at. I'm sure you've been to a lot of these. I mean, I mean, I mean, every coach does these, a lot of these national uh, club competitions and things like that for recruiting trips. Is, is there anything you've noticed or even just in players you've recruited? What, what is there a difference between West Coast players and East Coast players? Is there a mentality difference? Is there just a just traits that you notice that that one side has that other, the other side doesn't good or bad? Yeah, I don't know that there's a big difference. Was that out? I watch a lot of basketball when you're from Gonzaga, you go to basketball games. So I was at our basketball game last two nights ago here at, here at BC. And I didn't notice a big difference there either in basketball. I, I, I think you have, you have players that excel at certain programs. You have players that excel athletes that know their role and execute. And you have some players, some teams that have athletes that don't know their role and aren't executing behind level. The BC basketball is then. They had great players and, and hopefully they're, they're on their way to being a fantastic team. 
similarly, I think I think there's quality here. I think I think in the Northeast, I haven't recruited a ton in the Northeast. Kids kids have interest in Gonzaga and, and BYU from from the East Coast for sure. I don't know that there's any difference. I think I think the main thing in women's soccer is finding finding great athletes who can really run well. And then you get into the technical ability that that really matters. But first and foremost, you want great athletes who can run well and are willing to run well. And that'll be our priority here. And and I, I see that as much here as I do on the West Coast. On the West Coast, we think we have the best soccer in the country. But I was just talking to some of the club folks here over the last few days. and They're pretty sure they have the best soccer in the country. So we'll see. That's interesting because if I'm if I'm hearing that correctly, you you put a lot of stock into athleticism and kids that can that can bring something to the table, but and and not necessarily it's not the technical aspect has to be there and the skill has to be there, but you you really value that athleticism. Yeah, I mean, there's some things that are teachable, mm-hmm. right, and there's some things that aren't. We can, we can help kids get a little bit faster for sure, and we have I mean, we have amazing resources here. We can help people get faster for sure, but. Technically, that's what we do every day in practice. We're going to improve them technically and tactically in practice, or, or, or we're not doing a good job as coaches. But our strength and conditioning staff is going to be able to help them just this much, right? Just a little bit quicker. But as a coach, hopefully I can help them this much technically and tactically every day in training. That's, that's something that's inside people that can be brought out relatively easily, but their, their, their top speed and their agility we're just going to refine that. And so recruiting that at a, at a, at the highest level possible will be critical because, because the movement there and the improvement there is so slight. Right. A lot of times universities, professional teams, they'll end up hiring someone who's kind of familiar with, with, with what they've been kind of been there, kind of one of their own. You're not, you're a West coast, you're a West coast guy. You're, you're like you said, you, you don't have really had any previous affiliation to new England. Is that, how do you view that whole thing of just being, I don't, I don't like the term outsider. You're not an outsider. You've been coaching for you forever and you've had great success, but how do you view being a West coast guy coming to this region of the country as someone that maybe Boston college people aren't familiar with, or maybe new Englanders aren't familiar with, and you're kind of here to solidify and, and show them what your identity is. What, what's that whole process like for you? I think in a lot of ways, it can be a good thing. Yeah. Obviously, I'm going to say that as someone who's new here, but <laughs> right. there's, there's, there's a certain amount of, uh, kind of healing that needs to happen within the local clubs, within the local soccer community where they, where they feel like they're invited to Boston College, the alumni. There's been some years that haven't been great here. And there was some, some fallout with a coach that did really well here too. And so I hope that I can kind of, kind of build some bridges here for the local clubs. Certainly, that needs to be central to what we do. There's there's an issue here. Be able to get the best players from our local clubs. That's first and foremost on my. And in fact, just ten minutes before we joined us, I was meeting with 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 a coach of the oldest age groups, the biggest club here in here in Massachusetts. And that'll that'll continue to happen over the next several weeks because I need access to their players, and I need him and and her to feel good about. Boston College is a good, safe, growing, building place for their for their young players. Yeah, I mean this this is a region of the country that has a, a rich club scene. Uh, you know, a very good prep school scene. Some of the top prep schools in in the country reside here, and there's 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 a lot of talent. So, um, have you always been one uh, in all your coaching stops that that 
puts a lot of stock in recruiting locally and taking care of kind of your home state and making sure those players stay in their region? Yeah, I, I think that's a good it's a good place for us to start. It's the first place where we can start. If we're not winning in our own backyard, why would I expect to go mm-hmm. win in, in D.C.? It's, it's not going to happen. And and getting those players on campus should be pretty easy. We we need to create opportunities for those folks to come on campus where we're not charging them a bunch for these ID camps that are going on. We just get them on campus and maybe host a few events here, but kind of s- spread a real broad net here and get, get all the locals on campus so they can see what we have and then focus our attention on those best players and get the best players out of this area and not just a player because it's easy. Right. How would you describe yourself as a coach and how has it evolved over the last you know couple of decades? Yeah, I have been doing this for a while. And I would say I was just asked that, that question 20 minutes ago as well. I would say at, at, at BYU, at Gonzaga, always a top 15 offensive team. So last year at Gonzaga, we were number five in the country and overall averaging out the stats for number five, number seven in goals, but number five overall in the offensive categories. We attack at Boston College. We're going to attack really well. I don't know the personnel here. We haven't had a single practice, haven't had a single team meeting, but we're going to, we're going to learn to attack and at a higher rate. That, that one I know I can do. That's all. That's the layup for me is, is helping people become better goal scorers. So that'll be, that'll be, I think a noticeable difference for us, but you know, depending on players, it does come down to players. We'll see, we'll see how much we, we do better, but we, we will score goals here for sure. I would say general as a more general answer though, I, th- I think, I think I'm good at coaching the transition moments, quickly defending after we lose the ball, trying to get the ball back in good circumstances, high, hopefully high up the field, but good circumstances. And then uh, of course, transitioning going forward quickly. That's probably, Although on the East Coast, I don't know that I'm known for that, but that's what I'm known for as a coach, transitioning forward quickly to find good opportunities. Is there any reason why BC can't compete for ACC championships? I mean, everyone looks at the ACC as this mighty conference, and it is across the board in all sports. And it's almost like you look at the Clemsons of the world and the Florida States of the world, and you're like, how's anybody going to compete with that? But as you see it, is is BC just a, a few pieces away? I mean, do you think they can compete in that league? First, ACC is incredible. Yeah. When I when I when I was looking at this job, I looked at the rankings. There was eight teams in the top sixteen. Right. Half the top sixteen were in the ACC. I mean, nobody else, no other conference comes close to that. We at BC are not in that conversation of, of the top half, of the, top eight of the, of, at BC. Is it possible? Yeah, it's possible. Two doors down is our lacrosse coach. She's she's two doors down for me. She's She's done an incredible job and a, and a similar similar role that we have, similar facilities that we enjoy. And so, yeah, it can be done. Two coaches ago, they had some, some good runs. They went to the College Cup a little over a decade ago. So it can be done. Facility-wise, we're not, we're not where our, our opponents are in the ACC. We have a ways to go, but we have a new facility that is exceptional that uh, is, is going to be built out here. So... The time will, will come where we don't have to apologize for anything here at BC. Today, we're going to ask recruits to believe in us at the short term and watch shovels get in the ground here pretty quick and and kind of buy into that vision of what, what we're going to be, not necessarily who we are today. I got, I got to imagine, like, just going through the schedule, just when you when you look up and down that ACC schedule, it's just, it's like, there's no day off. I mean, so... 
How do you how do you prepare a a, a team for that? Just going through that schedule and kind of just not getting too down after you play North Carolina and things don't go your way. How how do you just make sure they stay up for the next match? Yeah, I mean, great question. T- to be honest with you, and I'm I'm one of those transparent folks. I haven't been in a conference this good. Right, right. West Coast Conference is the sixth sixth best conference in the country. Still so good. good, still very good. Right, really good. Yeah, but ACC is number one. So it's it's a difference. It's it's going to be a grind. I, I think I think it's going to be a challenge for me. In fact, somebody a couple of days ago was in my office and you know, I have, I've never had a losing season. I hate to say this on for the record, but I've <laughs> never had a losing season as a college coach. And Boston College hasn't had a winning season in quite a quite a while. And so something's got to give, gotta yeah. give <laughs> right out of this. And the the, the ACC schedule is going to be really tough. So I don't, I don't offer any promises. I, I, I do think we're going to get better and better every day, but until we get to a couple practices, I don't know where we're going to be. And frankly, to answer your question directly, I don't know what my reaction is going to be. If we don't uh, have a bunch of games. Well, that was going to be, that was a, funny because that was going to be my next question. Odds are you don't, you don't go 14, one and two next year. I mean, odds are that there's, there's setbacks. Odds are it's, it's a process. So um, you being someone who's tasted a lot of success may have to endure one or two down years. Is that just something that you're you're coming to grips with? I mean, how, how do you train yourself to be to be fine with that? Because when you've tasted so much winning, it might, maybe it's difficult to to have those setbacks. Yeah. Well, one of the things I'm good at is when we win, I don't get overly excited. I, I know that there's a lot of uh, luck in the game. There's a lot of good fortune in, in, that happens, and there's a lot of change that can happen from week to week. So I never get too high when we win. And and a, my former players would tell you, like, the, the guy just never celebrates. It's always <laughs> just that. So so hopefully that'll lead to the lows not being too low as well. But my first year at Gonzaga, we 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 were 10-7-2, and two, and I believe, but still lost seven games. It was really hard. But I did take a lot of pride in our progress day-to-day, getting better every day. And and so that's the closest thing I have to it at BYU. We never were even in the ballpark of not having a learning season. So, so we'll see how it goes. We'll see. And ask me that in a year. <laughs> what will you miss about the West Coast? Was this still something you had to wrestle with about about moving out here? Or was it kind of a no brainer in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think in a lot in a lot of ways, just with the movement within college athletics, it was a no brainer. Mm. But Gonzaga is such a great place that it was unique. There's a lot of people who were at Gonzaga that stayed there forever. And and as for good reason, it's a great place. I don't know that there's... Uh, my, my youngest son is in college now at Gonzaga, plays soccer at Gonzaga. Hmm. And so it's pretty easy to move, right? Yeah. Pick up and move, and then there's nobody there to help us move. <laughs> but <laughs> there's also nobody who has to go to a new elementary school or something. Either. Right, so, right. So I, I and my wife's excited to come to such a such a great city like Boston. So she's really excited to, to come out here and kind of live this life. How many, how many kids do you have? We have three boys, all played soccer. Oldest is Tennessee Law. Middle, middle kid played soccer in Zaga too, is, is a middle school teacher. Oh, wow. First year teacher. Yep. And then my youngest is a freshman at Gonzaga. What, what was that like to be coaching at the school while your kids are playing at the school? Was it, did you get to see them play much or were, you, were your schedules kind of conflicting all the time? Schedules are opposites. So yeah. <laughs> I really never, never got to see them or go to their games very often. Right. But it was fun. Like my son and I took a picture in the, in the weight room one time together that we were both there at the same time <laughs> working out. 
And it's probably my favorite picture I've taken in the last 10 years. Like yeah. it's a great picture of just, he and I just happened to be in the weight room working out. Yeah. And so it was really cool. But Gonzaga takes really good care of their, of their people there. Yeah. And it's, it's a great honor to have them as Gonzaga alums. Did, did any of their classmates ever talk trash about you to, to, to your son and say, man, your, your dad's running us like crazy. What, tell them to ease up. Anything like that? You ever hear any stories? Surely they did. Surely <laughs> you they just did. didn't hear about and it. Some yeah. of them, you have a roster of 30 kids. Surely some of them weren't the biggest fan of mine right. either. So I would say my kids were really good. They never, if they did, they never told me, which I appreciate, but yeah, it, but there's, there's it's a delicate balance. And, and in a lot of ways I'll miss that. Um, but in some ways, maybe that'll be refreshing too. As a big college basketball fan myself and just a big basketball fan in general, I got to ask you about the environment for some of those basketball games and, and coach few. I mean, did, did you, I, I imagine you got to know him pretty well over the years. What was that? What was that whole, the basketball scene like at that school? Yeah. I mean, it's everything. Every, every resource at that school goes towards basketball. Yeah. We, we had a good soccer team, but, but when was the last time you heard about, when was the last time you heard about another team at Gonzaga besides basketball? Right. <laughs> right. The resources are, are devoted very clearly towards basketball and their success. So, but I would say Mark Few is a legend. I mean, it, it very well might be named Few University here when he retired. <laughs> yeah. And, and no one would be surprised. It's, it's the enrollment before their basketball success was 2000, 2000 students. Wow. There was an article in the, in the paper when I first got there that showed in, I don't remember what year it was, 1998 or something. The enrollment and the endowment were next to nothing. And, and the school was in great, great risk of going out of business almost. And here it is now that's a top 85 school in the country with uh, enrollment that they can't have anymore. It's it's not a huge school. There's 6,500 kids there, but, but basketball schools are wondering if they should invest in sports. Well, if you can win, you should, because here's an example of a school that was on its last legs and now that it's thriving and, and doing very well. But it hasn't necessarily bled over to all the right. all the sports there, but hopefully it will. And and I think our women's soccer program and women's basketball there does very well. Cross country does does well. Yeah. It's bleeding over. But but uh, BC obviously is a different yeah. level. So you're telling me there was no John Stockton impact at Gonzaga, no uh, no, <laughs> no no increase in enrollment after Stockton left. It was all it was Mark Few, huh? Apparently not, which, yeah, surprises yeah. me. I know, because you think about that, one of the greatest players of all time went there, but it's like, right. it, I feel like it always gets lost in the in the shuffle that he actually went there. Yeah, a uh, couple quick stories. Yeah. I, I, John Stockton was in the weight room. He still works out there all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. Like he's there all the time. And an inc- incredible work rate, complete legend. Right. Um, when I was telling our team, we were going to try to have John talk to the team. And um, I was telling the team and nobody knew who he was. Oh, my God. a single person Come on. knew who he was. And then, and then a couple of years later, we had our, our freshmen, our, our, sorry, incoming recruits. We're like, hey, let's, Mark Fuse, let's got some time. Let's go top down, talk to Mark Fuse. And it was an official visit. So parents come with us. Yeah. And I asked them if they knew who Mark Fuse was. Not one of them knew who Mark Fuse was. The, the parents all knew, but not one. So wow. you're recruiting 15, 16 year old, 17, maybe at the oldest before you get a commit. Right. They, believe it or not, they don't know. Man, you know, that's, that's kind of, uh, frustrating. I, we went to a, I, I took my family to, a, we went to a minor league baseball game. Our entire like local little league went to a minor league game last summer and Doug Flutie was there throwing out a, the first, 
Doug Flutie comes out to throw out the first pitch, and every kid there was like, who is this guy? Why Why? Why is this guy? Like, I mean, they had no clue who this guy was. I and mean, he's he's not quite the, the the legend that Stockton is. It's just, it's funny how, like, legends just kind of go, their, their time ends, and everyone, and they get forgotten. But Stockton, yeah. Stockton's one of the greats. No question. Yeah. But, yeah, it's uh Time moves on. These kids aren't. These kids aren't watching old, old PN classic shows. You know? That's right. I know. Back when I was a kid, my dad had that that channel on. <laughs> I knew. I knew everything about Elgin Baylor when I was like five years old. <laughs> the, the times have changed. But Chris, this has been really great. We 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 are now going to move on to our extra time segment with uh, producer David Yaz. If you're up for it, he'll he'll let us have three random questions. Let's do it. All right. Cool. It's the end of regulation, so let's move to. Extra time. Too late to turn back now, coach. <laughs> and yes, welcome to Extra Time. So, since a new year is upon us, this edition of Extra Time will focus on change. And so, I'm going to hit both of you up with three proposed changes in three different categories. That sounds confusing. It's not. Law well, makes sense in a moment. Let's just start at the beginning. And, uh, coach, you're the guest, you get to go first. Which of the following Changes to the game of soccer would be most appealing to you. Number one, eliminate or change the offsides rule. Number two, borrowing from hockey's penalty box, employ a so-called sin bin where players would go for a period of time after incurring a penalty. Or three, allow rolling substitutions in soccer. So you get offsides rule changed, penalty box or rolling substitutions. And if you hate them all, you can just explain why. But give us your thoughts, Coach. Yeah, let me, I, I probably don't like any of those. Options. <laughs> uh, so I appreciate that. And I, I've, I've heard everyone argue for that. The one I hear the most is offsides and maybe moving that line to the penalty box or somewhere in the offensive third. And so that's the one I would be most for, especially as defenses and, and parking the bus has become such a science now. I wouldn't be for that because I like the space behind the defense as well. But that's the one if I had to support one of them. Sinbin, I'm not that familiar with hockey, so maybe I'll maybe I'll grow warmer than I'm heading to some hockey games here on BC's campus a little while. Maybe I'll change my mind on that. But mm. good but, place. Uh, good yeah, place to maybe college hockey. Go ahead. Maybe that offsides line. All right, Matt, your thoughts? I'm intrigued by all three, but I, I agree with Coach. The one I'd lean more toward is offsides, just because I've always thought. I mean, in this country, at least. So, I mean, we don't we know how popular soccer is worldwide, but in this country, we love offense, and that would be a way to uh, instill a little more offense into the game. And I, I think I, I don't I don't love how some teams defend because of the way offsides is in soccer. I don't love that. It, I don't know that it makes the game great or does much for the game the, the way some teams are able to, you know, like coach said, park the bus and and use that to their advantage. It, it can be kind of an equalizer for lesser teams, but I, I that would be the one I'd lean on, kind of adjusting the offsides rule. Very good. You're both wrong. No, you're not. Good <laughs> thoughts. Good thoughts both. Matt, you get to go first on this one. Okay. Three possible changes for the way we watch soccer on TV. These innovations are the following. Number one, put a mini camera on each player and perhaps mic them up so using a remote control, you could switch from player to player and see what that player sees. Hmm. Number two, interactive fan integration. During the course of a game, fans would be able to vote on certain things, inform such as strategy decisions, information that could be relayed to the coach, actually, wow. on an iPad or on a screen or something, wow. something like that. And number three, 
interactive 360-degree virtual reality broadcasts, which may already exist, to be honest with you, but it's, I know it's not widespread. But ver- you could watch a game in virtual reality in 360 degrees, such as to make it feel like you're actually standing mm-hmm. on the field. Matt, if you had the magic wand for one of those, which would you like? Oh, man, the fan thing. I mean, you tell me that <laughs> you tell me that I could have watched the World Cup, seen like Greg Bearhalter do something that I didn't like, try to voice my frustration and have it relayed to him that he should do something differently. Like, I love that. I mean, yeah. I love I mean, even the idea that like a coach is, you know, the coach is probably just going to laugh at you and not take any morons uh, take seriously from, mm. from the stands. But the idea that I could have a, a voice in something and it could funnel down to the coach, I like that idea. You wonder that there probably are some coaches that would appreciate it. I mean, right? some. Pro- pro- most, Ted, Ted most Lasso. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ted, Ted, Ted Lasso would listen to Ted, Ted Lasso would appreciate it. But I mean, I, I think a lot of these guys' egos, they'd just be like, what the hell are you talking about? But uh, the idea that it could happen and just that they're getting these voices, maybe they hear 100 things from fans, maybe on the 99th time it, it hits and they yeah. make the change. So, yeah, I, I love that idea. Coach, how about you? You got interactive fan integration, mini cameras on players, or virtual reality viewing? I think. I think for me, I'm a I'm a I'm a data guy, and <laughs> I, I think this this uh, 360 degrees. Or for for us, we have these video cameras where we can watch the game from from one end or the other, or from the broad view, and see the whole field. That's what I would like, mm. and I would like that superimposed with the data going on, the distance they cover, the touches, wow. the percentages, the the ball's won. And so I think you could actually do that. That happens in real time. If, if, if the revolution wanted to share with us the data, they're getting that in real time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that they have camera options. I assume they do on those iPads right there. That's what I would like. I would mm-hmm. love to see the data as it happens and be able to interact with that data via that 360 camera. Yeah. Well, I mean, another possibility would be sort of augmented reality viewing where all kinds of data could be superimposed on the screen so you could see precisely how long a a pass was or something like that. Good thoughts. Good thoughts. Finally, coach, you get to go first for this one. This is uh, just for fun. I I gave you three proposed changes to soccer, but they weren't insane. Here are three completely insane out of the box (laughs) ideas to change the sport of soccer. If you had to go with one, what would you do? Number one, double the size of the goals. Number two, Multiple balls in play. You can decide how many. And number three, a dynamic playing field. So at different parts of the game, the size of the field would actually change. I think we'd need to use illuminated lines on the field or something like that. So, uh, Coach, you got double the size of the goals, many balls in play, or dynamic playing field. Two and three are hard no's. (laughs) One is just a no. (laughs) Double the size and the goal. Two and three are outrageous. Like, come on. That's never going to happen. I said it was well, just for fun, I have coach. heard the proposal for making the goals an extra yard yeah. wider. Yeah. And I actually think that, that has signed. They'd never do it because the infrastructure would be so difficult to replace. But I actually think there's value that now that we're bigger, faster, stronger than we had been in the past. I think there might be something to that. But the other two are outrageous. And the first one is out, pretty outrageous. <laughs> but one. Fair enough. Uh, fair, fair enough. Matt, your thoughts? Coach is a purist, and I, I was actually thinking about going with option two, but then now, now I'm a little nervous. Multiple like, balls. Coach would reach through the monitor and and, right. <laughs> and ream me out of it. Well, the, the the other question is not so much whether these are good ideas, right. but, but what, what, I, what it would be like. What would it be like yeah. to have three balls on the field? I mean, that'd be crazy. That'd be just wild. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just uh, talk about you wouldn't know where, the, where to put your focus. I, I, I guess I would lean towards doubling the goal size, which, <laughs> which would be incredible. But 
unless we're going up, actually, I don't even know that it would help scoring because so many of these shots go over the net. Unless we're, if we're just widening it, I don't even, I still don't oh, even know if that point. helps because so many, so many players just shoot the ball over the net. It's infuriating. I mean, they don't, they don't even put it on the actual target right now. So if we're going higher, then that would, that would well, really change. Well, things. that's interesting because correct me if I'm yeah. wrong, but yeah. every goalie at, at, in most upper, competitive levels of soccer can touch the top of easily. The I mean, right. easily, easily right? With, with ease. I mean, right. I, there's youth players who uh, that I, we, I coach that can, that can touch the right. So and, the, yeah, the question looms, what would it be like if there were an extra two feet or five feet up there? Right. right? So that there was sort of a, a blind spot that you could. Right. Yeah. And that just hits on, I mean, that that's more of like just not leaning over the ball. I mean, just shooting technique, just being off with the amount of shots that go over the net. But, uh, you know, d- doubling the net, if I had to go with one on those on those three, I guess I would say doubling the net. They are all outrageous, but also kind of fun to think about. How about doubling <laughs> the size of the ball? How's that? <laughs> now you're just kicking a beach ball with a ton of air. I mean, that would be that would be tough. All right. Well, I tried. <laughs> Coach, uh, we thank you for being a good sport. And back to you, Matt, to wrap things up. <laughs> Oh, that was good stuff as usual, David. And Chris, appreciate you taking the time. You Are you heading out on any recruiting trips? I know there's a big event down in Florida coming up. Yeah, heading yeah. down Saturday to go recruit back in Spokane for 36 hours to finish up back in the house. And then wow. I'll be back here a week from now. I'll be back here and permanently here in Boston. Man, racking up those air miles. Gotta get, yeah. that'll, that'll, that'll get you a free trip somewhere, I imagine, with all, <laughs> all, all that traveling. But thanks again to Chris Watkins for joining the podcast. I'm Matt Langoni. New England Soccer Journal's The Gold Podcast is produced by David Yaz and is a Siemens Media Production. You've been listening to New England Soccer Journal's The Gold Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. Or visit anysoccerjournal.com forward slash podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring informative, insightful.